got your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Genesis chapter 32 uh, today. And and we're going to be looking again at, at Jacob. And you know, it's difficult. It's difficult to prepare a message because look at all you guys. You're so, you're so different from each other. Some of you are young. Some of you are old. Some of you are a different culture. Or what did Katie say? Some of you are young and some of you are young at heart. Or some of you are young and some of you are wise. We won't use that old word. Uh, <laughs> and, and so there's, there's so many, there's different cultures. There's different languages here, right? You, you've lived different lives. You've gone different places. You have different training. So it's difficult to find a message that just like hits everybody. You know, so today, I'm only going to preach to certain people, all right? I'm only going to preach to people who out there, you're out there and, and you struggle with getting past your past, okay? Right? We all struggle with getting past our past, everybody. Even if you're just a teenager here today, there's still things that's just like, why did I do that? Because we're human beings. No matter how young or how old you are, we, we struggle with getting past our past. There's things. Have you ever just been sitting there in a moment, just random moment? I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're, you're cooking or cleaning or driving. And then some, a memory from your past just floods over you. And you're just like, I can't believe I did that. And it feels like you're back 10 years ago. And it's just, maybe it was a, a terrible moment. Maybe it was just an awkward moment, right? Have you ever just relived an awkward moment before? Like, I can't believe I said that. And you think, if I ran into that person again, that's probably all they would think about me. It's just that weird thing that I told them years ago. And, and so we, get, we have a struggle getting past our past. There's places that you refuse to go today because something bad happened there. Or you did something wrong there and you're worried, I, I can't go back there. I can't go back to that home. I can't go back to that city. Uh, I've done too many wrong things there. Or maybe there's people that you refuse to see today. People from your past. If you saw them in the grocery store, you'd start going down that aisle and skip it and go to the next aisle because, no, I'm not going back there. I'm not talking to that person. That person burned me too many times. I'm not going to look at them. I can't stand to see them. And a lot of times, we've got sins ourselves that, yeah, sure, Jesus forgave us, but we haven't forgotten them, right? Anybody been there? Jesus forgave you, but but. You keep being reminded of these things. You keep being reminded. Uh, we, we talked in our Bible study on Wednesday night. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, it said this, that the accuser, that Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. Like Satan likes to tap us on the shoulder. You may be thinking, I want to do great things for God, but Satan's there and he just taps you on the shoulder. You can't do great things for God. Remember, you did this. Remember this sin you committed? You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You, you can't handle it. And it says that Satan accuses us day and night and, and is trying to, to get us away from what God has promised us. And we sit there and we look at ourselves and, you know, other people see the things that we've done. But nobody's thought the things that we've thought. You know, nobody knows us like ourselves. And we know all the things that we've sought. We know all the things we look. And, and we can look at ourselves sometimes and we think, if people really knew me, if people really knew my past, they wouldn't love me. If Jesus really knew my past, he wouldn't love me. Doesn't he know how wicked, how evil I am, how, how many wrong things that I've done? So maybe you're sitting in that boat this morning, and you just, you have a hard time getting past your past. See, Jacob struggled with his past. 
He struggled with his past. I mean, he's been running from his past for 20 years, like we saw last week. Uh, he was fleeing. He had, he had done a bunch of bad things. He had stolen a birthright from his brother by trading him for a bowl of soup. He had stolen his brother's blessing too, and his brother vowed, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob went on the run, and he got away. And for 20 years, he ran away from his past. He ran away from his brother, and he was worried that his past was going to catch up to him. But the problem with that is, while he was on the run, while he was running away from his past, God met with him. God met with him when he was at his lowest, when, when uh, he had learned the hard way, when he had hit rock bottom, and God told him, hey, Jacob, I'm going to use you. This land that you're sitting in is the promised land, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless your descendants, and your descendants are going to bless the whole world. They're going to be numerous as much as the sand on the seashore. Like, this is going to be great, right? So God made him this promise. But the thing for 20 years, because he was running away from his past, he could never embrace the promise that God gave him. See, running from our past prevents us from living in the promise. Running from our past prevents us from living in the promise that God has given you. See, many of you, God's spoken to you. You know that God has a purpose and you know that God has a plan for your life and he's made you a promise. But a lot of times we don't want to live in that promise because we're too worried that our past is going to catch up to us. We think that we're unqualified, that we're not worthy and we can't do it. And so we run from our past and while we're running from our past, we can't live in the promise that God has given us. See, when you live in your past, you can't go forward. You can't see where you're going. You're, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. I remember uh, I was in driver's ed. And of course, as a teenager in driver's ed, I knew everything, right? Any teenagers, I mean, when you were a teenager, you knew everything. And so I was, you know, very experienced driver. I mean, I had probably driven at least 20 hours before. So I knew everything about driving and, and how to do it. And one day I'm in driver's ed and I'm backing up. And I'm looking in the mirror, and, and my, my driver's ed teacher sitting next to me, you know, hits the brake and says, what are you doing? Like, backing up. He's like, well, which way are you looking? Forward, because there's a mirror here, and a mirror there, and a mirror there. And that's why there's mirrors in the car, driver's ed teacher. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm just using my mirror. He's like, no, you got you to gotta turn around and look. It's like, but there's a mirror here, so I can use the mirror. He's like, but you can't see everything, so you got to turn around and look. So I got a little snarky with him. Maybe it was because, again, I was a teenager and knew everything. Maybe it was because he was a Packers fan and I was letting out a little bitterness on him. I, I don't know what it was. But uh, that's probably not a person I should have done that with. And so we get out of the driveway and he says, all right, stop the car. I'm like, really? Probably rolled my eyes at him. Really? You know, you're going to make me stop the car? He's like, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it in drive and I want you to look backwards. I'm like, there's no mirrors behind me. I can't see forward. Just do it. I'm like, that's dangerous. No, just do it. So he made me turn around and drive forward down the block. Well, guess what? I didn't hit a car. He didn't let me do that, thankfully. But I couldn't see anything because I was looking behind me. And it's the same way in our lives. When we are so worried about what's behind us, we're never going to be able to embrace what God has in front of us. And that's what Jacob discovers here. He's been running from his past for 20 years. And finally, he says, all right, God, this is time. I need to embrace that promise that you have for me. So Jacob, again, 20 years, he's working for this corrupt boss. We, we talked about how, how to deal with authority last week. He's working for this corrupt boss, and God tells him to stay another six years. So he, he stays first the 14, and then another six, and he's working for 20 years. Uh, and finally, God gives him the green light. 
It was under God's direction. It was under God's blessing. And Jacob uh, packs up his family and packs up his possessions and he runs uh, to the promised land following God's commands. And God leads him down a difficult road. And it was going to be a road with many hardships ahead, but he promised he would be with Jacob. And so not a few days into the journey, it said uh, three days after he left, his father-in-law got word of what was happening and he packed up some men and got on, on their animals and they rode away. And they started pursuing Jacob and his family. And after seven days, they caught up with him. They, they caught up with him. And this was a difficult situation. Again, Jacob's thinking like, God, I dealt with this guy 20 years. You told me to go down this path. And now, like, he won't let me go. He won't let me leave. So Jacob stood up to him and, and, and he said, hey, knock it off, right? And during this whole time, God protected him. God protected him from his father-in-law, from his corrupt boss, and they made an agreement. They set up a pillar and they said, all right, this is the marker. You don't cross this line, I won't cross this line, and we're going to have peace between us. So even in the difficult times, God brought blessing, and Laban was able to bless Jacob's family. He was able to say goodbye to his daughters and his grandkids, and okay, obstacle one, taken care of. Even in this hard road, even though he was going to have to go back uh, and face his past, right? Because if you wanted to embrace the promise, he was going to have to face his past. So first he gets through Laban and everything's going well. And so he continues on his journey. And in Genesis chapter 32, uh, again, if you're there, verse one, it says this, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. So it's pretty cool. Jacob's on this path. He's on this difficult road because he knows he's going to have to face his past. And uh, God sends angels. Like, how many of you would like to see some angels? You know, just like you're making a difficult decision and God sends an angel. Wouldn't that be great if God did that every time for us today? You go into a job interview and all of a sudden you see an angel in the corner. You're like, okay, this is the place. You're going house hunting, trying to figure out which one it is. And there's just an angel standing in the front yard and you know, all right, this is it. Or you're walking down the street and you see a halo over someone's head and it's like, okay, that's the person I'm supposed to marry, you know? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? That's what I saw with Angie. It was just the halo and I knew she's the one. She's the one. Wouldn't it be nice if God sent angels today for us? And some of you, you, you maybe have seen angels at different times. You know, God still does that. But oftentimes, it may not be an angel, but sometimes it's just there's a peace about it. God sends his peace. Or maybe God sends a person. He sends a person who doesn't know what you're going through, doesn't know your business, but they speak the right word at the right time. And it's just this confirmation of, all right, God, you're, you're doing something here. But for Jacob, he was walking down this difficult path and God sent an angel just to remind him, hey, Jacob, I'm still with you. Hey, Jacob, things are going right. You're on the right. This might be a difficult path. Remember, you ran into your corrupt boss already, but things went well. And guess what? Next up, you've got to face that brother of yours, okay? And it's going to be okay. I've got your back. You're on the right path. You're on the right path. So in verse 3, it goes on and says, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. Again, to get to the promised land, he had to go through the land that his brother Esau was in, the brother who vowed to kill him. Uh, and he was a hunter, and he was a skilled hunter, and now Jacob was his prey. And so he had to go through Esau. Verse 4 says this, And he instructed the servants, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, 
I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So it's real interesting here. Jacob knows Esau is coming. And Jacob kind of braces himself. He braces himself. You see, some of us, when we meet our past, when we meet people who've offended us, we try to get real defensive. We try to say, you owe me. You owe me. You know? And Jacob could have done the same thing here. See, Jacob, he could have flipped the script here. And he could have said, you know what, Esau? I saved your life. I saved your life. You were hungry and you were going to die. But instead, I gave you this contract and you gave me your birthright. Like, I didn't steal it from you. You signed the paper. And because you signed the paper, I saved your life. So you should be thanking me. He, he could have said, you know that whole thing with, with dad, with Isaac, and I stole your blessing? God promised me that blessing. I just took it. You know, I was just embracing God's promises. That's not my fault. This was your destiny. Like, you shouldn't be mad at me, Esau. But, but look at all this stuff. I go and do those things, and then you, you, Esau, you go out and you try to kill me. Like, you're the one who's guilty here. He could have come back and, and, and just been vengeful and said, you owe me, Esau. You are in the wrong, right? You are, I did everything right. You're in the wrong. But instead, he doesn't do that. He humbles himself. And he says, I'm your servant, Esau. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. And he humbles himself. And he tells Esau, I'm not coming for any vengeance. In fact, I've got everything that I need. God's blessed me. He supplied me with more than I need. I don't expect anything from you. I'm not coming for your stuff. I'm just coming to make peace. And so Jacob initiated the reconciliation. He initiated it. And if we're going to, because we can do that in our lives. A lot of times we look back at people who have wronged us and we think, I'm going to wait until they say they're sorry before I make anything right. Because it's their fault. Ever been there? Right? It's their fault. So I'm just going to wait it out. Well, the problem is, you might die before they come and say that they're sorry. Right? They might be expecting the same thing out of you. And so Jacob does the wise thing here, and he reconciles. I like this, this quote from Nelson Mandela. He said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Think about it. Look at that. Resentment or unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hope it kills your enemies. When we choose not to forgive, when, when we allow bitterness to take root in our heart, it kills us from the inside out. And now all of a sudden, something they did in your past is destroying you. That unforgiveness is destroying you. And you're allowing the other person to win. But a much greater way is to forgive. A much greater way is to initiate like Jacob did and say, Hey, Esau, we could play the blame game here, but I'm just going to be the bigger person. And I'm going I'm I'm to reconcile myself with you. I'm going to humble myself because... We need to make peace here. I want to embrace the promise, so I need to get past my past. See, if we want to experience the promise, then we have to stop running from our past. We have to stop waiting to get what we think we deserve. We need to be the peacemakers. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We need to be the ones who are peacemakers. Even though somebody else may have wronged us, we need to bring the peace. So Jacob here Again, Jacob's kind of a roller coaster. He does good one time, and then he does bad the next, and then he goes, good. so this time, good thing. Jacob's doing a great thing. He, he's trying to bring peace here. 
He follows God to face his past. He doesn't attack Esau. He doesn't accuse him. He humbles himself. He calls himself a servant. He tells him he doesn't know anything. He says, I have all I need. So he's on a good roll. And then in verse 6, we find Esau's response. It says, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Uh Uh-oh. This isn't going so well. Verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So Esau, he sends this humble message. You know, I just want to make things right. I want to I reconcile with you. Uh, you know, he, he repents. And then all of a sudden, when he reconciles, what he gets back is retaliation. You ever been there? You try to reconcile with somebody, and then they just come on the attack. And it's like, God, that's not what was supposed to happen here. I'm trying to be the bigger person. I'm trying to be nice. I said I was sorry, and, and now they're coming at me. They're, they're coming after me. Esau is coming with 400 men. His past is coming to get him. Oh, man, this is, this is going to be difficult. And so now Jacob, right, he was doing the right thing. But, but now instead of trusting God, instead of knowing, all right, I just saw angels. This is a good sign. Even though Esau is coming at me, God, I trust in you. This is going to be okay. Uh, instead of that Jacob, the, the Jacob who's faithful, now comes the old Jacob. Now comes the deceiver Jacob, the the Jacob who has to learn the hard way. Uh, He comes back to the surface here, you know, because he's kind of living one foot in, one foot out. God, I want to serve you when it's convenient, and then when it's not, I'm going to do it my own. And and he kind of plays that game, going from his old self to his new self, to his old self to his new self, he's back and forth. So he says, all right, old self, I need you now. I need the deceiver. I need the planner. I need the schemer. And instead of trusting God, uh, it says that he is greatly afraid and distressed. He is greatly afraid and distressed. And, and so, you know, he's got, he already met with Laban who came with a group of men. He wasn't afraid then. But when Esau comes with a group of guys, now he's afraid. With Laban, he didn't do anything wrong. But with Esau, he knows that he wronged Esau. And now all of a sudden that past is coming back to haunt him. That, that past is, is got control on them. Uh, and we can become slaves to the fear of the sins of our past. Not even to the sins, but just the fear of what could happen. The fear of having to pay for him. His past is about to catch up with him, and he's afraid. So again, he takes things into his own hands, and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split into two camps. Your group over here, my group over here. So this way, at least Esau can't kill us all. And he's, he's just trying to logically figure out how are we going to deal with Esau? How are we going to do this? But the real problem here isn't Esau. It's the problem he's trying to rely on his own abilities instead of God's. But thankfully in Jacob's fear, he also did one very wise thing. And something we can learn from Jacob, even when we're afraid, even when we're in those difficult moments. See, Jacob took the time to pray. He took the time to pray. When we're in difficult moments, we need to pray. That shouldn't be the only time we pray, but we need to pray. We need to go to God first because prayer isn't this last line of defense. It's a first-rate attack. God does incredible things when we pray. So let's look at Jacob's prayer. Let's break it down a little bit. Verse 9, this is his prayer. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. 
I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. That he may, uh, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob prayed, and it was a good prayer. It was a good prayer. You know, a lot of times when we pray and we're fearful and we need Jesus, all we ever do is go to him and just ask and ask and ask. God, I need help. God, I need help. God, I need deliverance. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. And that's the extent of our prayer. But Jacob, he actually uses, he has this great prayer. Let's, let's look at it for a moment. The first thing he does is he says, oh God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac. See, the first thing he does is he recognizes who he's praying to. He recognizes, I'm not praying to some wimpy God. I'm not praying uh, to some false God. I'm, I'm praying to the God uh, of my ancestors. I'm praying to the God of Abraham and Isaac. I'm praying to the God who promised Isaac and promised Abraham great things that he would send a deliverer. And, and so when we pray, that's one of the greatest things we can do is recognize who we're praying to. We can recognize, God, I'm praying to the God Almighty. I'm praying to the God who created this universe. I, I'm praying, you, praying because you have all authority. You're alive. And then the second thing he did was he prayed God's will. He reminded God, hey, God, remember, I'm doing what you told me to do. You told me to return to this country, even though it was going to be difficult, even though it was going to be hard, but you're going to do good things. So God, I'm praying your will. I'm doing the difficult thing. You know, Jesus prayed God's will when he told us to pray the Lord's prayer and, and show, he said, God, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done. And that's something we need to do. God, I've got my plans, but Lord, I want your plans. The next thing he did was he humbled himself. And he put some things in perspective. He said, you know, I, I'm not worthy. God, I, I am not worthy of all the deeds that you've done for me, of all of your faithfulness. God, I'm not worthy. And when we humble ourselves, it kind of puts us, when we humble ourselves and we lift God up, it puts things in perspective. And it helps us to realize, okay, my problems may be big to me, but they're not big to my God. They're not big to God. And so he humbled himself. And the next thing he did, he, he lifted God up. He was thankful and he, he was reminded of what God had done. God, I came across this Jordan with just my staff, but now here I come. You have been faithful to me and I'm walking back with two camps full of people. You have blessed me so much. God, thank you for what you've done. And in our prayers, we can be thankful. We can tell Jesus. We can remind him, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for giving me a family. Thank you for giving me a job. Thank you for giving me breath today. God, everything I have is because of you. So he was thankful. And then finally, he makes his request. God, deliver me from my brother Esau. Deliver me. I'm fearing for my life and my family's life. And then finally, he closed with something that's very powerful that we need to do more of, frankly, as a church. We need to do more when we pray. He prayed God's word. He prayed God's word. These, he prayed the literal words that God spoke to him already. He said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He, he brought back, God, this is a promise that you made me, and I'm standing on this promise. I'm believing this. If you kill me today, then how's that going to, like, we're going to, if Esau kills me, I, God, I'm standing on this promise. And we need to do that with Scripture. We need to stand on God's promise. You know, so in your, in, 
in your prayers, don't be afraid to just pray the literal word of God. I mean, how much more powerful are God's words than our words, you know? So don't be afraid to say, God, I, I, your word told me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, your word says that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son. And we stand on these promises. Your, your word says that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And, and we stand on these promises and we can bring those into our prayers. So rather than just saying, God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, we need to say, no, God, I, I remember what you've done. I re recognize who you are. I humble myself. And I'm thankful for what you've done. And I'm standing on your promises today. But as good as Jacob's prayer was, there was still a problem with his prayer. There was a great man of faith and a, a man of prayer. And he was once asked, what's the most important part of prayer? And he kind of had a shocking answer. His response was this. The most important part of prayer is the 15 minutes after I've said amen. It's not necessarily the prayer, but it's what you do after you pray the prayer. You may pray boldly, but then do you live boldly after that? You, you, you trust in God in a prayer, but do you trust God with your life? And that was, that was Jacob's problem here. He prays this bold prayer. He, he prays it, and the problem is what happened next. So let's keep reading in verse 13. It says this, so Jacob stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother to Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, goats 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he had handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And then ahead to verse 20, it says, For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So Jacob prays this bold prayer. He prays this bold prayer, and then he goes back to his old plans. He decides, maybe instead of facing my brother, instead of being at the front of the charge, I'm going to hang back, and I'm just going to send him lots of gifts. And maybe if I can just pacify my, my brother, if I can just pacify my past, then everything's going to be okay. By the time he sees me, he won't remember, and, and it'll be all good. Right? We still do this today, right? Guys, half the time, that's why we buy flowers for our wife. You know, it's like, you're mad at me? Flowers, right? It's going to be okay. You've never done that. Never done that. And, uh, but we still do that today, right? We, we try to, we do something dumb, and then we try to cover it with a gift. We, we try to just pacify it. We try to appease it. We try to please it. And we just say, all right, here's what you do. And so, again, first he, he sends the first servant. You take these 220 goats, and you go and tell them, tell them I sent you. And then, uh, you know, next, if that's not enough, then come with 220 sheep. Tell them I sent you. Then go with 30 camels. Tell them I sent you. If that's not enough, take 50 cattle and go. If that's not enough, take 30 donkeys. And it was this wave after wave of extravagant gifts. So he prayed a bold prayer, but his actions didn't line up with his words. He didn't take the front lines. He, he went to the back of the pack. You know, we often sing songs of surrender. We sang one this morning. God, I surrender to you. You know, we sing, I surrender all, or I give you my whole life. But then like Jacob, we say, God, I give you the 220 goats. 
And if that's not enough, then I'm going to give you the 220 sheep. And if that's not enough, then, you know, I'm going to trust you with my future. But if that's not enough, then then I'm going to trust you with this part of my life. But God, if that's not enough, then I'm going to trust. And he says, no, no, I asked for all of you. Not just your stuff, not not just the good stuff. I I asked for your, your future and your past. I asked for it all. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he gave up his whole life for us. And he asked us to do the same thing for him. If we want to receive his gift, if we want to receive his blessing, then we need to give him our whole life, not just the parts of us that we want to give away, not just the easy parts. He wants all of us. He wants all of us. God, I surrender everything. Surrender my future and my past, the good and the bad. See, to this point, Jacob was good about surrendering his possessions, but what he refused to do was surrender himself. He wasn't ready to trust in God's promise of protection. Jacob wasn't leading the charge. He sent his servants ahead, but he stayed that night in the camp. But something truly amazing happened that night as he stayed in the camp. God answered Jacob's prayer to deliver him from the hand of his brother, from the hand of Esau. But the problem was that God never seems to answer our prayers the way we want him to. And he didn't answer Jacob's prayer the way that Jacob wanted him to. You see, he thought when he prayed this prayer that God would do something in Esau, but instead God did something in his own life. He did something in his heart. And what God didn't, did that night in Jacob's life changed, changed everything. It changed Jacob's heart. You see, the way he answered Jacob's prayer, he didn't remove Jacob from the struggle, but he removed the struggle from Jacob. See, oftentimes, God does not remove us from the struggle. We may be praying, God, deliver me. God, take me away from these evil people. God, take me out of this situation. God, take me out of this job. God, take me out of this area. But again, God doesn't often remove us from the struggle, but he removes the struggle from in us. And that night, Jacob finally surrendered. Jacob finally allowed God to change him. Jacob finally said, all right, God, I'm yours. And we're going to talk in detail next week about that struggle, about that literal wrestling match that he had with God. But this late night encounter changed something, not in Esau, but in Jacob. He was different. He had a new identity. He had a new boldness. There was a new trust in God that there wasn't in there days before. See, something changed in Jacob in the middle of the night. And we see this in the next chapter in Genesis 33, verse 1. It says this, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. The struggle hadn't changed. It was still there. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. But check out where Jacob's standing this time. Verse 3, it says, He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. See, this time Jacob didn't stay back. This time Jacob didn't send gifts. This time Jacob said, Here I am. Here I am, Esau. Do what you want with me. But I'm, I'm here to repent in person, face to face. And it said that he humbled himself and he bowed down seven times and he humbled himself before Esau. And then when he did that, 
when he decided, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I believe that I'm on the, the, the right path, even though it's a difficult path. And, and there's 401 crazy dudes coming at me, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and he said, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to surrender to you, God. You're the God of my past. You're the God of my past just as much as you're the God of my future. And, and so he humbled himself. And in verse 4, it says this. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Like what a beautiful scene. What an amazing scene. I mean, Jacob, he's still even in the midst of the fear. It's like, all right, this is it. This is how I leave this world. I'm never going to inherit that promise that God gave me. This, this, is, this is the ending. And then he humbled himself and we see this beautiful scene, just like the story of the prodigal son where the father comes and embraces the prodigal son. Esau came, and he embraced Jacob, and he kissed him, and, and they wept, and they wept, and there was this reconciliation. It was just like, oh, God, I've been so worked up. I've been so fearful, and then this is what you do. See, Jacob didn't realize that God's been working on Esau's heart the whole time, and he had nothing to fear. He just needed to trust God with all of his heart. See, before you embrace your purpose, before you embrace the promise, we've got to confront our past. We've got to confront our past. Worship team, would you come? See, once he confronted his past, the next stop that Jacob made was the promised land, was the land that God had given him. One of the greatest things that can hold us back as followers of Jesus is our past. We can be constantly looking over our shoulder, not, not knowing what, what's coming not knowing what's going to catch us from our past. We're afraid we're going to fall back into the old patterns or the old habits. You know, the devil keeps reminding us of all the things that we've done. But the good news today is that Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again to forgive you partially. He came to give, forgive you completely. He came to make you a new creation. He came to give you a hope and a future. He, he came... Not to just die for your future, but to die for your past as well. Romans chapter 8 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation. The devil, he may keep tapping you on the shoulder and keep reminding you, right? Remember your past. Remember what you've done. But I, I like, I've heard it said, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Remind him, Jesus wins. My Savior is more powerful than you. You can't hold me down. You can't keep me strapped in to the sins of my past because God has forgiven me and I've got new life and, and I'm a new creation. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We got to stop thinking that we're old creation. We got to stop putting on the old stuff and we got to start putting on the new stuff, right? We can't be like Jacob and keep switching back and forth. We got to say, no, God, you have made me a new creation and I have freedom in the name of Jesus and I'm not going to walk in my past anymore. God, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go towards the promise because I believe you got great things for me. God's able to forgive our past. He's greater. No matter how much you've messed up, you may be sitting there today and you're just like, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know my past. You don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've done to other people. Like, it's too great. 
Let me tell you, we've got a Savior who's greater than all of your mess. And he loves you in spite of your mess. One of the difficult, one of the difficult calls as a parent is when you wake up at 2 a.m. to a kid crying. And you get up and you go to their room and and you can smell the problem before you see the problem, if you know what I'm talking about. I won't get into details here, but you go and you see your child sick. I mean, not just like sick, but like sick on the wall, sick on the pajamas and sick on the carpet and sick in all the crevices. And as a human being in that part, in that point, you'd like to say, all right, kid, you got yourself into this mess. The next time I want to see you is when you're all cleaned up and you took a shower and you, you've sat down there and you've scrubbed everything, you've brushed your teeth and you've done all this thing. And, and the human inside of us would like to just say, I don't want to deal with this mess. But the parent inside of us looks at our child and sees them crying and sees them sick and sees them hurting and, and we run to the mess. And we pick them up and we clean them up. And we're sitting there, we're scrubbing carpet for hours and we're cleaning all the crevices. And that's the same way it is with God. See, the price that Jesus paid is greater than the mess we made. It's greater than the past. And God wants to clean us up today and he wants to restore us and make us new and make us clean once again. We can't, we can't free ourselves from that. But God can do the impossible. God can clean us up. All we need to do is cry out to him and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need a Savior. God, I need you. So if you're struggling with your past today, there is hope. There is freedom. We can be new creations in Jesus. So would you just bow your heads with me right now and close your eyes? And today... If you're just being honest, whether you know Jesus or not, and you'd say, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with my past today, and it just feels like I can't escape it. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Guess what? You're not alone out here. There's many hands raised in this, but you can put your hands down. But I want to pray for you. I, I believe God can do incredible things. I don't just believe it. I know it. I've seen it. Today, God can free you from your past. Jesus, I pray for every hand that was raised in this building today who says, I need freedom from my past. God, I, I pray that you would do a work in their hearts like never before. A work like you did in Jacob's heart that night where he wrestled with you and he struggled with you. But God, he came out the other end different. He came out the other end a new creation. So God, I pray that you would make a bunch of new creations in this building today. That we could finally put that old self to death and live in this new self that you've given us. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, as we navigate our past, as we confront our past, God, may you bring us down this difficult road so that we can finally embrace the promise that you've given us, the purpose you have for our lives. God, change us, transform us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me in this building?
And I just want to, I want to call this to the altars today. If you raised your hand and you're saying, yeah, I'm struggling with my past, I encourage you, come find a place at this altar. Come and give it to Jesus. You don't have to wait. You don't, you don't have to, you're, you're not alone. There, like I said, there were many hands raised in this. We all struggle with our past. We all need Jesus. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We need to come to this altar and say, God, I give it to you. I'm taking these steps. God, I, I want to face my past on face to face knowing that you are in control, knowing that you are greater. So Jesus, we come to you again. God, would you move? Would you restore? In the name of Jesus, do a work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I encourage you, come find a place at this altar. Let's go after Jesus together today.
us, God, that you would strengthen us. God, that we would surrender everything to you. God, give us a heart of surrender today. Not just part, but everything. We lay at your feet. Change us, oh God. Change us. That we may embrace the promise that you have for us in its fullness, not just partially, but completely. Thank you for what you're doing at these altars today. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts today. We need you, Jesus. So God, I pray that we would leave this place today in your freedom. We would leave this place today and surrender. Maybe there's phone calls that we need to make. Maybe there's reconciliation we need to have this week. And God, I pray that you would be with us through every difficult thing, that every difficult path that you bring us down this week. God, may we take action. May we not just pray bold prayers, but may we live it. In the mighty name of Jesus, our God, creator of this universe, the God who's here with us today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week this week, church. Again, if you need to spend some time at these altars, we encourage you to do so.